Hey, welcome. Uh, my name is Kathy Smith. I am the kids pastor here at Mercy. I'm so glad that you're joining us online. Uh, we're in our third week of a series called uh, Streaming. All right, and the idea is that we're looking for ways that, that God shows up as we watch movies, as we enjoy films together. Where does Holy Spirit kind of pop out to us? And so I get to talk to you today about a movie that really, it's really, it's like a, a tearjerker for me. It's delightful, it's Pixar. If I were to show you like some balloons and a tennis ball and maybe a chocolate bar, do you get where I'm going with this? We're gonna talk about the movie Up today, okay? 2009 movie from Pixar, I love it so much. Uh, it starts, this movie starts, if you have seen it, you know, and if you haven't, you gotta watch it with like a four and a half minute gut punch. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the first four and a half minutes of this movie will like break your heart in half. Uh, it's about it's a story about a man named Carl and his wife Ellie. And in the first first five minutes of the film, we watch them meet as kids and and share a love of adventure. And they grow up, they get married, they work together, and then uh, we we watch them navigate infertility together. And and all through this, they've carried this dream together about about traveling to Paradise Falls. And right as they get ready to to do this, to go on this adventure together, we see Ellie fall ill. She gets sick. She goes to the hospital, and she dies. And man, if you can make it through that four and a half minutes tear free, I, I would love to talk to you and meet you and like learn from you. I can't do it. This movie just bathes you in grief and loss and that's how they start. That's where they want to begin their story. Now I think what Pixar is so good at, why they're so brilliant, is that they know how to do this. They know how to make you like invest in the life of the story, in the character. You are for Carl. You have felt his pain, you have seen it. And so the story that they're actually telling after that first five minutes is how do we keep going when grief and pain and loss interrupt our lives and we have to keep on living, right? What do we do when unrealized hopes show up in our lives and unmet expectations crush us? How do we get up, keep doing the next things, right? And this, this is our story too. We've been there. Frankly, some of you have shared your stories with me. I, I honor those stories about, about how this happens in your life. And, and these are the moments, I think, where we start asking questions about words like faith and hope and grace. Right? I start wondering, like, faith for what? What, what, is, what is my faith for? How do I have faith in you right now? What does I do with this? Hope for what? What can I expect of you, God, in these moments? How do I trust you right now? Right, because like cognitively, I know that I should, and that that you're there, and it's like the the reality of it is what gets messy. And I don't know when I ask those questions, like what does grace look like? Maybe this is me, maybe it's pride or stubbornness. I don't know, but I'm not actually looking for an answer from you. <laughs> right? When we when we ask those questions, I don't want I don't want a platitude. I don't want a description. I really am not interested in that. And so this, I think, is what exactly the power of a story is. Because I'll do that. I'll listen to a story in those moments. And so the hard, the messy, the human parts of life, these are, these are the questions that come out of those hard, messy parts. Those are what stories are for. Stories answer those questions. Jesus knew this. He, he loves to tell stories, right? And I think part of it has to do with Jesus' ability to let people get in the story, to pick out the particulars that, that resonate for them, that mean something to them, and do work on their heart, right? And this is what I want to do today, because I know, I know I, I'm actually in the middle of some of this myself, and I know there are people out there who are dealing with uh, loss or grief or, or things that just aren't happening the way you thought they would, and we need to keep going. We need to answer the question, what does faith mean right now? 
What does grace mean right now? Okay, so today I want to I do this. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to talk to us about those moments of our suffering, the long, slow ones, the ones we walk through for a while. And then two, I want him to help us reimagine what does grace actually look like as I live in that. Okay, and we'll do this with the help of a story from the Bible about an, a man named Naaman. And of course, we'll bring Carl Fredrickson from up with us along the way. And then if you will just allow me a teacher moment here for a second, I'm also going to utilize a tool today. Okay, a tool, it's a visual tool. It's not real complicated, but it's going to kind of ground us and, and give us kind of a, a starting point in the way we talk, okay, as we go. So this is the Where, How, Who Circle by Margaret Silf. Okay, she wrote a book. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. It's called The Inner Compass. And it, it's about like letting God work in us. How does it work? So, so we got the where circle, right? This is stuff you cannot change. Natural family, uh, your genetic makeup, right? Race, ethnicity, your upbringing, your health, your disabilities, the given things, okay? The how circle, here we can exercise some choice, some, right? Things happen, I can respond to them. How am I, right? I can accept or reject things, condone things, I can confront things, I can make my relationship choices. Words like initiative apply here, habits, character, right? All of these things kind of live in this circle. And then there's a who circle, okay? And this is where Margaret says, this is the image of God in us. This is who God made us to be. This is a place where uh, when we are honest, we will find hard things in here. We'll find things like maybe shame and sorrow and loss. But also, she says, we'll find things like, like wonder and glory because this is, is the, the God that, that God sees, the us that God sees. All right, so we got this tool. We're going to use this tool as we talk about this. How do we walk through the suffering of life? How do we keep living in the hard things once the loss has happened, as we deal with it ongoing in ongoing ways? Uh, and we'll use this, okay? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and we'll go to the Bible and get going with our story. All right, so yeah, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you already kind of, right, like be pinging in us, making us aware of where, where we have things that we can bring to you, things that need grace? Hard things, especially I feel like for the tired hard things. Will you show up in those? Talk to us today through your word. Amen. All right. We're going to read uh, 2 Kings. All right, 2 Kings 5. We're going to read the story of a man named Naaman. Okay, and I'll just begin at the beginning. 5 verse 1. It says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, who was the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. Okay, and then it says, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Okay, and the, the words that, that struck me in here, the words as I'm thinking about the movie Up and I'm thinking about grief, and it says, but though, right? But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, but though this thing was true about Naaman, that he was strong and a leader and capable, he suffered from leprosy. Right, now let's think, right? But though, but though she was a CEO, she suffered from depression, right? But though he was a father, he suffered from loneliness. Uh, but though she was highly qualified, she was overlooked, okay? But though he was successful, he felt powerless. We, we, we can do this all day, right? These but those are really like all of the, all of the assumptions that we make about our lives, about what, what a position or a title or, or some of these things here, what they mean. 
okay, what do some of these things mean about this? And, and we know all, like, it's already in the story, right? Naaman had an identity built. He had an identity in his mind and the tension that exists between the reality and the identity that he understood is creating suffering, right? There's a gap, right? This, this leprosy piece, this, this disease is going to exactly threaten his identity, right? Uh, if you get leprosy, you get muscle, your nerves stop working right, you get loss of muscle strength, all of the things he was like, it was targeted, right, to this identity he had in mind. And I think this is always true, that the relationship that we have between the parts of ourselves that we, that we most love, that we most value, that we're like, I think that is who God made me to be. This is actually where our, our suffering happens the most where we feel the pain, where we feel the loss. We grieve at exactly those places. Do you know this to be true? It's, it's hard. Uh, Carl's suffering, right, happened because he had a deep love with his wife. He had a relationship with her. He built a life with her. And so his suffering happens out of that pain. Naaman's leprosy, right, right out of that muscle weakness that would affect his ability to be a mighty warrior. That's where the suffering happens. And I think all I want to say right now is, like, are we aware that sometimes what happens on the where and how levels, we, we say things like, I'll get it together. I know I should be able to navigate this. If only this person would. I'm proposing that that is not a grace-filled way to get at what's going on in here. Okay? We'll keep going. We'll keep going for now. Uh, let's keep reading verse 2. It says, At this time, Aramean writers had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives there was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And so one day the girl said to her mistress, Hey, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. I love, I love this girl. Could you imagine like the guts on this girl? <laughs> like, hey, I know a guy. And one, she's, she's in captivity. Okay, let's not underestimate that. She is an oppressed person. She is young. She is a woman. And she, something about this girl knows what kind of a healer God is, right? And so she says, has the courage to say, hey, I know somebody. That's a whole, you could preach a whole day on that, right? Like, <laughs> and, and I just want to say Naaman, right, would have had every reason to ignore this, this girl, discredit her. It was, it's what you would expect to happen, right? Thanks, no, thanks for nothing, little girl. Uh, Pixar, Pixar says this about conflict. Pixar says, once a character gets in trouble in the movie, that's when we change the focus from the problem to who the character is in trouble with, right? So Pixar would highlight this girl. She's coming. This is Naaman's moment, okay? In the moment of suffering, an unlikely hero emerges. And up, right, a young wilderness explorer named Russell knocks on Carl's door, begging to be of use. <laughs> he insists, right? And then it's easy, right? It's easy for Carl to ignore him. But, but in these moments of suffering these easily ignorable moments, I think we're building a better picture of sometimes how grace works. Okay, grace, I think is surprising. Maybe even a little sneaky, right? Grace is a measure of God's heart for me in the moment of my suffering. And it has been really true in my life, maybe this is me, that when I start to suffer, I start to close my eyes to the people around me to the Russells, to the little girl. And, and I don't know, that maybe is a personal preference a little bit too, but gosh, I want us to have eyes that see and ears that hear. And so I wonder in, in your suffering, in your moment where you feel the loss, one, can you name that? But are there any unlikely heroes? Do you have any companions of grace around you? I wonder if, if I'm asking Holy Spirit right now to help us see them, see who they might be. St. Ignatius names some of these symptoms. 
he calls this a season of desolation, after when the grief and the loss and the pain is taking over. He says we turn inward, check, right, we know this, we spiral into feelings, we cut ourselves off from the community that's speaking to us, our distant vision gets crowded, and one of his remedies is seek out companionship. Okay, but I would add this, if grace is involved, then maybe look and see if there's companionship coming towards you. And I would say this, if you're at, her, at church today, you're thinking, hey, nobody's been coming my way. Maybe this church could be that for you. Okay, send me an email. I'll help you get connected. But are we open? Holy Spirit, show us. Show us where there might be unlikely companions carrying a little bit of grace for us. Okay, let's keep going. Let's see. Will he, will he hear it? Will he let this girl be a companion of grace? Verse 4. Naaman tells the king what the young girl from Israel has said. Way to go, Naaman. He says, go and visit the prophet, the king told him. I'll send a letter of introduction for you to take to the prophet. And so Naaman goes off carrying a lot of stuff. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. And the letter just says, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Cool, right? No big deal. I think it's interesting, right? Naaman, uh, his wear afforded him the ability to do this. We can't all do this. We can't all pack up 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of, right, 10 sets of clothing. He had the ability to do that, okay? Uh, Carl, in Up, right, he had a different set of options, right? This man chose helium as his uh, travel method, right, international travel, helium tanks. So, right, they used what was available to them, okay? And the point of this is that they went. And, man, I think there's a little bit of grace in there, right? They went. Let's keep going. Let's see when they go. All right. So Naaman, he's got his letter. He's brought everything he can think of, and he's going to go, and he gets to the king. He gets to the king of Israel, verse 7. He says, uh, when the king read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay, and he said, Am I God that I could give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? Oh, he's just trying to pick a fight with me. All right. This is a... This is a quick detour to the people watching who maybe don't feel like you're in the season of suffering or grief, but maybe you've been companioning people who are. Okay, maybe there are people coming to you and you're starting to wonder, you're starting to feel this, right? Uh, this King of Israel, like, tendency to over-function. Anybody familiar with this, right? He's asking me to heal this man, one, no, right? But two, as soon as this happens, right, he's trying to pick a fight, his defensiveness goes up, his anger goes up. He's, the burden he feels is because he has he's put a set of expectations on himself, right, that have, that have misunderstood his own who. And so the man's burden has become his fight. Now, like this question, right, are you God? Where are you, where are you trying to be God? Do we do this for other people? When people come to us with burdens, you guys, I get it. My, I, my name is Cassie, and I'm an overfunctioner. It is easy, highly responsible, highly conscientious, right? And when I find myself tearing my clothes and wondering where my capacity has gone, I got to get all the way down into my who. And I got to sit with the question, Holy Spirit, why do I think I'm God? What is going on in me? What expectations capacity did you put in me? Right? And Holy Spirit, this is what we do. We, 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 we ask those questions and we wait for the Holy Spirit to actually talk back. Right? We gotta get past our hows and our wares. We gotta let the Holy Spirit add this, this piece that says, who do I really know that I am? Okay? There is, there is somebody in the story who responds better than the king of Israel. All right, so we will go, let's see what someone else has to say. This is verse eight. 
It says, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sends a message. He goes, why are you so upset? cool, Elisha. Send Naaman to me and he'll learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. I would love to have like a little bit of this confidence, right? Of Elisha's confidence. So Naaman goes, he went with his horses and his chariots. He waited at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha does this. He sends a messenger outside and he says to give him the message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored. You'll be healed of your leprosy. Can you see where this is going? Naaman becomes angry. He stalks away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I'm a commander, right? I, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy, call in the name of the Lord, and heal me. And also, right, aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Avana and Parfar, better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in those rivers and be healed? And so he turns and he walks away in a rage. And I'm laughing, but only because that is so relatable. Right now we're getting somewhere. Naaman's where and his how are coming in direct contact with his who. Healing has been offered to him, but it has not been on his terms. And so he is angry. Right, I thought he would come to me. I expected my life to look this way. My rivers are better than your rivers. My way is better than your way. Unacceptable, right? And this is honestly uh, something I totally do. This is one of the hardest dimensions of my own life of faith, and I think it's one of my biggest blind spots. I spend so much of my life, so much, praying out of my wares and my house. Right? God, change this circumstance. Change this uh, person. Change this job. Change my family. And I pray out of here. I pray out of my house, which feels a little bit holier, right? God, change my attitude then, right? If this is the way life's going to be, change my attitude. Change the way that I respond to this. Give me patience. Give me, okay, fine, fine. Okay, and I picked that word on purpose, fine. Fine is what you get out of these prayers, okay? Fine is what you get when you're like Naaman and you can't do what you want here and so you stalk away. This is the moment that the Holy Spirit's waiting for you. The Holy Spirit's knocking, right? He's, he's sitting under the porch like Doug the dog in the movie Up, just waiting because I love you, he says. I'm waiting for you to take your honest stuff, this stuff, all the stuff you feel here, to me, to tell me about it. Okay, this is how God gets access in here, and this is where God can do some real work. And I wonder, this breaks my heart a little bit, I wonder about all the times when I look backwards and I feel like, hey, God, I'm not sure you did right by me. I'm not sure if you actually saw me in that place. And it, it, it breaks my heart because sometimes I consider that it's possible I have maybe stalked away from my own healing like Naaman did because I just couldn't recognize that God was up to something else. My own ego is in here telling me I got to have things a certain way because it's who I am or it's who even you made me to be. And I wonder how many times I've sidestepped my own healing. Okay, I pray. I pray for eyes that we could see that stuff. I pray for ears that we could hear it. Um, but so Naaman's mad, right? He's walked away. He's in a rage. It, it's, we're wondering if he misses out on his healing. In verse 13, let's see what happens, right? We still believe grace is operating. Verse 13, his officers try to reason with him. And they say, sir, if the prophet told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So certainly you should obey him when he says simply go wash and be cured. 
And so Naaman does. He goes down to the Jordan. He dips himself seven times, just like a man of God, Elisha, had told him. And his skin became healthy as the skin of a child, and he was healed. Right? This question that the officers ask. Can you recognize it in your own life? Gosh, I, I can't, right? Jesus, I'll do X or Y or Z thing because those are the things that I believe are uh, an appropriate reflection of who I understand myself to be, of the ego that I'm building in my own mind. I'll say yes to the things that reinforce that. Not other people's rivers, not other people's plans. And, and these officers know how to talk to him. They know to talk to that right, right in his heart, right? This is actually not about how mighty of a warrior you are. This is about you doing what God said. And I, I pray we all have friends like this. Sometimes it's hard, right? And Rich Villada says this about what happens in the water. Okay, he says this. Naaman goes down. He says his body was healed on the seventh dip, but his heart was being transformed on the first. Okay, when he set aside his entitled ways and he said yes to Elijah's instructions. He says transformation is possible even when healing takes a while to manifest. And I would add this, that transformation is possible because of the grace that Naaman encountered along the journey, right? Just like Carl, who didn't have a radical story of healing, there was not a necessary big win for Carl in the end. There was some, but these stories show us the ways that grace sneaks up into our lives. Okay, I think of grace like a Holy Spirit flashlight. It's shining and it's saying, hey, look at, look at this over here. God's trying to get at your heart over here. Look at this. See, Grace showed up, uh, showed up and Naaman said yes to a little girl that he could have ignored. Grace showed up and Elisha relieved the king's pressure to stop being God. He said, no, no, look over here. Grace showed up and Naaman's officers knew to talk to his innermost fears. They got him in the water. And I want to talk about one last way that I think Grace shows up on our journey. It's in the movie. It's in the movie up. And, and I'll finish up here. Carl has has successfully navigated his house to Paradise Falls. You gotta watch if you haven't seen it, right? Balloons, he's walking, he's got it tied to his back. Talk about letting your attachments go. But his dream adventure that he never got to share to, with his wife, he, he made some version of it happen. And so because he's succeeded, succeeded, he, he puts this down, he, he feels like he can finally take a break. He sits alone in his house in his chair because he has isolated all the companions of grace that were coming at him. And he opens up this book and it says, it says, my adventure book. And it's a, it's a photo album that his wife made about all the adventures she was going to have. And he, she showed it to him years ago, years ago. And there was a point at which it stopped and it said, stuff I'm going to do on the page. And then it was blank. And, and Carl knew that this was a source of sadness. Okay. His understanding was that she was finished with her book, Stuff I'm Going to Do, and she, she never got to go to Paradise Falls, so it was over, and he had let her down. And so he, it, it pains him. You can see it in his eyes. He sighs, and he almost closes the book, and then a, a little picture pops out of one of the pages. And he gets an, a glimpse, and, he, and he, so he flips the page, and right, he starts flipping, and it turns out that this album is not empty at all. Where there should have been pages in Carl's mind of Paradise Falls and pictures and things, uh, there's instead pictures of their life together. Laughing, working, picnics in the park, sitting side by side in their living room, and he, he can't believe it. Right now, a note on the last page, try not to cry saying this, you guys, just thinking about it gets me, says, hey, thanks for the adventure. 
We knew this was coming, right? Thanks for the adventure. Now go have a new one. Love, Ellie. And something, something happened in Carl's heart, in his, in his identity, in who he knew himself to be. Right? Something happened in there. Something touched it where he had only seen failure. Something changed. Okay, and I wonder uh, if this is not like the best picture of the grace of transformation that I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> Sometimes it's only evident to us in retrospect. Sometimes we have to look backwards to see it, and I know that can be maddening. Okay, and I don't say that to like make your suffering seem like, well, just wait and it'll someday you'll look back on it. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's just sometimes is stubbornly real that we only see it that way. And so when we look back and we say, come Holy Spirit, come talk to me about what I'm seeing. And we let our imaginations access this book. Okay, the book that God keeps of us. Where our plans failed and our dreams died and the stuff we wanted to do maybe isn't happening. We ask the Holy Spirit like, hey, and you can do this right now. What's in the book that you're keeping? What do you have to say about my life? What do you have to say about the time we shared together? Right, and I believe that that is the only way. If we get, we get the Holy Spirit into this part, it's the only way that we can spiral back out to our hows, how we are being with other people, where we're, right, our circumstances. If we don't let the Holy Spirit access some of this, the change doesn't happen here. I believe that it works that way. I believe that this is how the Holy Spirit, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven coming from out of, out of us, I think that's what he's getting at. And I, this is what I love about the vineyard, right? The vineyard believes that when we invite God, we say, come Holy Spirit, I'm freaking out, and we wait. That through words or other people, right, or Bible verses or songs, that, that something, something happens. The Holy Spirit responds to us. And I think that is what healing looks like. Okay, that's how grace works. I believe that, that the trust that we can have in those moments of suffering, the faith, the confidence, is that if we really, really, right, we really believe that God is good for us, that God is with us, we can trust that when I do that, when I pray, when I open up myself, not just the circumstances of my life, not just my attitude, when I open up my heart, and this is largely through prayer, that some kind of healing is happening. That God can, can look at my photo album. He can shift what I'm seeing. He can show me where he's been. He can show me what we're up to. He can show me the stuff we're going to do. And so that's what I'm praying for us. Right. Pixar says, you don't always know what your story is about until the end. They're making these movies and they're like, oh, that's what it's about. Grace says that you can trust God with the story. Okay, you can trust his presence. You can trust that when you invite him into your suffering, that healing will happen. Might take spiral after spiral after spiral, but we can trust that healing will happen, and you can trust that God will open your eyes to the help that's coming along the way, that you won't miss your Ellie's and your little girls and your Russell's, that, that, that it's coming. Okay, so I want to pray for us, and then we'll wrap up. Holy Spirit, do those things in us. Show us our help. Shine that flashlight on where your grace has been present, in our, in our long suffering. You show us how, how you are with us. Show us who you want us to be. And I believe, like, give us the courage. I believe that you have, you have dreams for every person hearing this. And we ask, Lord, will you help us to see it? Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Amen. Thanks, you guys, for being with us. We're going to worship together. And then we will do a time of communion. 
please, please, if you would like prayer, chat it in the side or, or if you're on YouTube, put it in the comments. We will see you. We will pray for you. We'd love to do that. Thanks.